Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs. This is Christy Haberman, your host, and Kai the Wonder Dog. You can hear her snoring and her collar clanking in the background again today. She's a little bit more restless. So the topic we're going to talk about today is relationships. And I recently went on a trip to another state and interacted with people that I had never interacted with before. So in other words, it's the first time that I've met someone that doesn't know I'm a grieving mom. Didn't know anything about me. Didn't know, they knew I was a counselor because I was there to do a counseling job, but that's all they knew about me. They didn't know anything else about me. And I was going through the regular get to know people that you go through. And sometimes I don't realize some of the things that I say that identify me as being different. For example, I was in the Pacific Northwest and there's just, there was something in the air. I just felt different there and it felt very spiritual and I kept saying to the people (laughs) you know and I don't think about it I don't censor it and I kept saying to the people that were there are you sure there's not a spiritual place around here like Sedona are you sure there's not a portal I said there's some there's something about being here that makes me feel like I'm different somehow. And they would just look at me and then they'd say, well, some say it's due to the Native Americans that are around here. And I was like, I don't know if that's it. Like I'm from South Dakota. We have a lot of Native American land around us and it doesn't feel like it felt there. I said, I think it's something different. And I really really liked these two people that I had met. So the last day after I was going to work, um, I said, well, come down and have a beer with us. And I was like, I don't drink, but I'll come down and I'll have some water. You know, and they were really interested in me, which I find very interesting. It's the first time that in a long time that I felt like people really wanted to know me, wanted to know who I am. And one of the questions they asked me, you know, I had disclosed, you know, that I had lost a child. And that my theory that energy recognizes energy and that Um, One grieving mom recognizes another. It's just how I feel. At least I recognize them. I don't know if they recognize me. And so they asked the question. They said, you're very intuitive. And I said, yeah, I am. And they said, are you like that? Were you like that before your son died? Now, that's a side of me that I don't share at all with people. I haven't for a long time. 
I had a coworker, Stacy. So Stacy, if you're listening to this, I really, really miss you <laughs> at work. Um, we're still friends, but you know, when you connect through work and you go to different jobs, you don't always stay in, in touch. And Yvonne too. I stay in touch with Yvonne. We don't talk about spooky stuff too much anymore. But I usually don't share that part of myself. And I really don't share it professionally. Like I talk about it individually in sessions with people, like about energy and spirits and um, tarot card readings and life after death and mediumship and talking to spirits. Like I just don't talk about that professionally. And it's one of the reasons why I do this podcast because I felt like um, counseling grieving parents was restrictive in that way. So I started this podcast as a way to talk about this stuff. But anyway, these people were really interested. So they asked this question and I said, no, I've been this way all of my life. It definitely got, um, I don't want to say worse, but it definitely got deeper after Christopher died. That's when I actively started exploring life after death, mediumship, um, learned how to read tarot cards, practice doing mediumship readings. So I've really developed those skills. And the conversation continues. And then I tell them about my tattoo. I have a tattoo of a witch doctor. And I cannot tell you how life-affirming that tattoo was. Because to me, it symbolizes incorporating all parts of myself, including the spooky side, the spiritual side. So to have these professional people be interested in me and... um wanting to know about my spooky side was very life-affirming, but very, very scary. So, so scary. Like, I'm talking, and I am shaking while I'm talking to these people, and I'm feeling so vulnerable. Even now, I tear up thinking about it. I was so vulnerable, like, I, I just didn't know what to do. I was very, very vulnerable and scared. I scared that I wasn't going to be accepted. But then the place that we were at was close and there was there was no ending to that conversation. So I I walked away no well we exchanged phone numbers and stuff. So I I feel like I will see them again. But then part of me doesn't want to see them again cuz I don't know if I was accepted. And I had a drive home. It was about an hour drive home. I got a little lost because it was dark. I was staying in a hotel. But when I got to my room, I was just shaking, just still shaking, feeling so, so vulnerable. And it's taken me a couple of weeks to talk about it. And I talked, called my husband and I said, I'm feeling very, very vulnerable right now. I have not 
allowed anybody to see who I am since Chris died. And I thought, what have I done to myself? What have I done to myself? But honestly, I felt like a different person there. I'm, and I don't know if it was the spirituality of the place. And it's a corporation, so let me tell you, it has nothing to do with the job. It has to do with the Pacific Northwest and, and what was there. But it was during this process that I realized how much Christopher's death has changed me. And it's like, did I do it to myself? Or did my life circumstances do it to me? Because I, the words cannot express how scared I was that these people knew me, like knew who I was. That they got underneath this facade I wear all of the time with everyone. I keep so much to myself privately. And then to have these people ask. And they were asking in a nice way. It had nothing to do with how they were how they were asking had nothing to do with anything about that. Because they were nice. Like I really enjoyed their company. But it was the first time that I'd allowed myself to be seen. And I used to have this co-worker. His name was Charles. So Charles Bell, you ever listen to my podcast? I doubt you will, but if you ever do, I remember you greatly. But Charles always used to tell me, Christy, you don't have to put everything out there. You know, you're so nice, you know. And I was, I was fun to be around. But I was one of those people that, you know, things just fall out of my mouth. And this is what I was telling this group. I said, I don't know why I say some of the things I say, even on this podcast sometimes. Things just fall out of my mouth. And I'm like, wow, where did that come from? So it's not like I plan it. I'm very spontaneous. And I'm, I was, I'm the same way as a therapist. But also very aware that the information that's coming through me is sometimes not my own. It's coming from a place that's higher than me, that's helping me guide whoever I'm talking to with whatever the issue is. And so before Christopher died, I was, I talked about ghosts and <laughs> like you would before you knew that those things were a possibility, right? So like when they're just ghost stories or um, Sasquatch and spirits, you know, it's not really real. At least it wasn't to me. And there was no shame involved in it. It was kind of an abstract thought. You know, that's the other thing that I felt that I don't really understand. So, and I keep asking from comments from people. I haven't gotten any yet, but one of these days someone will answer me. But I felt a lot of shame, you guys. A lot of shame. I was ashamed that my son died. 
Well, what's that got to do with me? I was ashamed of the spiritual side of myself. As if somehow there's something wrong with it. And I know where that comes from. I know that comes from um, Christianity and the very religious people that say that's wrong. So this feeling of shame that I had regarding my son dying was probably the most confusing part of this interaction that I had with these people because I honestly felt like I should be ashamed that my son died. So I have these feelings of being ashamed that he died, feeling vulnerable, And I was asking myself, how did I get here? How did I get to be this person? And that was the conversation that I was having with my husband yesterday was, how did I get to be so far from where I was? I laughed all the time before Christopher died. I have a wicked sense of humor a very dry sense of humor that I don't expose very often. But most importantly, the spiritual side that I have that I keep really, really hidden. That I'm trying to incorporate into my life, but still hide it. And so this conversation with these people that I, that had just met me made me realize how different I am than who I used to be. And so I asked my husband, how, did, how do you think I got here? How do you think that I got to be cold? Some experience me as cold. And I see in some of the comments on Instagram where people comment that you're so mean now. You're so, (laughs) you know, you're not very caring like you used to be. God forbid I do not have any patience. I do not have patience for nonsense. And so my husband said he thought it was that first anniversary he said, when Christopher Christopher first died, I just isolated and wanted to be alone. And I could see that. I went very much inward, but no one wanted to listen. No one wanted to hear about how much I miss Chris. They were tired of it. They couldn't deal with the pain of it. So... I tried to talk to people. I was talking to random strangers. I was talking to people in the gym. Um, I was talking to everyone until I realized no one wanted to talk to me. So I just went inward. And I think I learned. I really honestly think I learned. And I know everyone has had this experience where you see someone that you used to know. 
in that someone tries catching up with you and you say, they say, oh, it's been going on in your life. And you say, well, my son died. And this one lady that I told, her face turned white. She turned around and walked away from me. Do you know how many times that's happened to me? So, of course, you quit telling people. It becomes something that you're ashamed of. You can't... No one can no one can find out because they'll never talk to you again. And so when I meet strangers, the last thing I'm telling you is that my son died because I'll be alone again. So I think that was a part of it. But my husband thinks that the biggest part of it was after the first year on that anniversary and I was going to do a memorial dinner. I was going to go to the park and I invited people and no one showed up. No one showed up. Emily drove all the way from Philadelphia to be here. Um, they had to leave that day. They couldn't stay for the picnic to celebrate Christopher's life. So they showed up, but no one else showed up. No one else showed up. And I knew. Like, But the first year, you kind of give people the benefit of the doubt. At least I did. I was that person. I was that person. I knew I had people in my life that it was all about them. I knew it. But I was the kind of person that believed that it was my job to be there because they were my friend. And I was loyal. I was loyal to a fault. To a fault. I was loyal to all the wrong people. So no one showed up for the first anniversary. So you give them the benefit of the doubt, right? So you move into the second year. The second year, the grief gets a little less raw. A little, like, <laughs> little. <laughs> Maybe you just come out of shock. I don't know. You just become much more aware. At least I did. I'm going to come up on the second anniversary. And no one's remembering now. Not even my immediate family. There is no one. Except for my best friend. Who still celebrates his birthday and the day he died with me. That's the only one. And by the second year, I realized that everyone that was important in my life was gone. And I was alone. Now, they'd be friends with me. Don't get me wrong. They'd be friends with me. As long as I was present for them. So let me give you an example. My brother. And he doesn't listen to this podcast, so it's no big deal that I talk about this. And, you know, even if he does hear it, whatever. So it's the day that of the week. 
And he comes in, and he's like, oh, I really want to talk to you. And I was like, okay. So I went in this back room, and he's telling me about how him and his wife are having troubles, and they're in the process of getting a divorce. And this is at my son's wake. He's expecting me to counsel him and be ever-present and be this caring person that I was to him. Always, always listening to him and giving advice and all of those things that I did. And my son's wake. And I just looked at him. It was the first time I realized that I didn't have the mental bandwidth. And I looked at him and I got up and I walked away and said, I just can't. I just didn't have it in me anymore. He didn't really take offense, I don't think. I really haven't talked to my brother since my son died. So then maybe, I don't know, a year in, he called me one day and it's the same thing again. He's talking about how he got in trouble at work because my brother's mean, like, He's got a mouth on him, and he says things that are just off the. And he made a comment about one of his co-workers and got written up for it, and he was really upset about it. Not once during that phone call did he ask me how, my, how I was doing. He has never asked me how I was doing as far as my son dying. Not a word. Total silence. And I just couldn't do it anymore. I was just like, I'm done. I'm just done. So those people that I was that person for, they just dropped away. They just went away. And I was different. And then I would meet new people, but I, I didn't want, after all the experiences of telling people that your son died and have them give you that blank look and turn white and walk away, or if they do manage to stay polite to you, they never talk to you again. So I learned over time to bottle it up. And just keep it very, and keep it very private. And even some of my belief systems about spirits and um, being able to, listening to music and hearing about making these connections with Christopher. People didn't want to hear that either. And it didn't matter that it was comforting to me. Here's the thing that just drives me absolutely insane. It did not matter that it was important to me. It was more important that they tell me what their religious beliefs were and how it was wrong. And so I was shamed into believing that I could have this connection 
with my son that went beyond death. And that is so wrong. That is so wrong because why do you care about what I believe? If it provides me comfort, how dare you? But that's the reality. That is the reality. And I'm keeping it real about grief. Because I don't know if those of you that believe in signs and believe that there's music and believe that you can talk to your loved ones and still maintain that connection. Do you have that experience? Do you have that experience with ultra-religious people who tell you that it's just wrong? I literally had someone, his aunt, no less, on the other side of the family tell me that. I was like, I don't know who you think you are. So, Amy, if you're listening, that was one of the worst things that you have said to me. And there's been a lot of bad things that you have said to me, but that was one of the worst. So it was more important what she believed. And so my husband says, because of this, that's how I got to where I am now. But something else happened along the way, too. Is I had to choose. I knew within my heart and soul that the only way I was going to survive Christopher dying, and I do mean survive, was if I maintained a connection, a love still with him. And so I choose to believe. And now when people try to force their religious beliefs on me, I tell them, I choose to believe. You can choose to believe what you want, but I choose to believe this because it is necessary for my mental health and sanity. Yeah, this is a whole nother conversation. I'm going off on a rant. But anyway, so it was necessary for me to believe. So I learned not to talk about it. And so I pretended. And through this process though, I've learned to have this belief in myself. And now I expect differently from people. I'm pickier about who I'm around. And I have no tolerance or patience for the bullshit. I just don't. I just don't. <laughs> and it's kind of it's kind of healthy in a way. I just don't have tolerance for it. And as a result, I come across uncaring. But you're right. Are you complaining? You complaining for five minutes? I don't want to hear it. 
I do not want to hear it. I hear people complaining about their kids. Their kids didn't do this. Their kids didn't do that. Well, you know what? They're alive, aren't they? Why can't you just appreciate that they're alive? Do you know what it's like not to have them? I just see that people just don't appreciate. And I do. And so the people that have my loyalty earn my, get my loyalty. So anyway. These people that I met. Led me down this path of. How did I get here to be this person that doesn't allow people to see who they are, who she is? And it's the grief, and the grief has taken that away from me. But it doesn't have to be permanent. Now that I've realized that the grief has taken it away from me, I can do things to change it. If I want. If I want. Maybe I... Everyone doesn't need to know me. But I shouldn't be so scared when they do know me. And I'm telling you, I was scared. And I was looking for acceptance. And maybe the key is that I need to accept myself. That I need to ex accept that. This is who I am now. And that you get to be discerning when you're picking out friends. And not everyone deserves the version of you that you shared with them. Because they appreciated me, that I know. I think one of their words they said is, you are a very unique human being. And I am. I am uniquely me. And it wasn't said in a derogatory way. It was said more in a wondering way. Like, you're really unique. And I am. But the death of my son made me this way. And there's no getting around that. And am I better for it? Am I, you know, the way that I have relationships with other people, which is what we started this podcast talking about, has changed so significantly because of my grief. That I just got to wonder, is it me or was it them? Was it all these life experiences where you were rejected because of your grief that made you have this facade? And you did it for self-preservation? Or was it necessary because you were grieving? I'm not sure. I am not sure. I know I am forever grateful to those two help, who helped me see that being who I am is something to be honored. And then the fact that my son died is not something to be ashamed of. 
and that my spooky side, even though it's not accepted here in South Dakota, will be accepted somewhere. And I'm not going to stay in South Dakota. I am here because I have a job here and my son is here. But someday I'm going to travel and I'll be accepted where I travel. And so maybe it comes down to that we just have to accept ourselves. I don't know. But as you go through this grieving journey, some of your changes may not all be bad. You may not recognize yourself on the other end because believe me, I never would have considered that this is who I would be now. Because I'm not funny anymore. You're like, I am, but I'm not. I am not like I was. I made people laugh all of the time. And I don't now. And I know I'm not as kind. But I have no patience. And maybe I'm associating kind with allowing you to walk all over me. Because I don't let people walk all over me anymore. I just don't. I have boundaries. And people don't like boundaries. But they were necessary. But I know there's days that I don't recognize myself. And 11 years ago, before Christopher died, I would have never second-guessed telling those people all about my love of the paranormal. And now it was one of the scariest things I've ever done. So the, for those of you that meet grieving people, I just want you to keep in mind that they are the way they are because of their experiences that they've had with other non-grieving people. And please don't be that person. Please. If you have religious beliefs that conflict with the beliefs of the grieving person, keep it to yourself. It's not about you. If you truly want to support someone that's grieving, keep your opinions to yourself. Keep your opinions to yourself about how they should be how they should not be, just keep them to yourself. Because they are struggling. And the person that they're going to end up being or evolving into will be someone that you don't recognize. But that person matters too. And then if they believe in signs from their loved ones, let them. Because honestly, you don't get an opinion. Anyway, we've gotten kind of deep this week. Thanks for allowing me to talk about this. It's I cannot, I'm so grateful for the 500 listens. For those of you, I have, it looks like 20 regular listeners. I'm so grateful to each and every one of you. This is Christy, your host, and Kai, who's been fairly quiet. 
much quieter than I thought she would be for this episode. Thank you for listening. Embrace your all parts of yourselves, everyone.